Podcast. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Nosemister family of guitar effects in Greenville, South Carolina. You can check us out and give us your money in exchange for goods at WestminsterEffects.com. Also, make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook and, you know, Facebook and Instagram. Follow us there. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Leave a five-star review. I don't care if it's honest. Also, we have like two or three days by the time this comes out to uh, help out the Indiegogo to help X offset my damn expenses because that junk is expensive. Uh, Bradley's not joining us today. He had a scheduling mishap. So uh, the normal co-host today that I'm joined by is... Hey, everybody. This is John Ross, church nerd and Westminster effects artist from Lincoln, Nebraska. And we are also joined by one Everett Hennis. Say hi, Everett. Hey, everybody. So give us a rundown of who you are, personal, professional, uh, whatever, and then we'll kind of jump right into it. All right. So uh, I'm a pastor at an Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hillsdale, Michigan, uh, perpetual student working on my doctorate degree in the area of liturgics. Um, in my free time, I like to uh, teach um, small children how to beat each other up in Taekwondo, uh, as well as um, adjunct at a local college here, usually in philosophy or history. So uh, I have a little bit of everything going on. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, our first our our first segment in this new format that John invented for us is, hey, what happened in church last week? John, why don't you go first? Hey, I actually went. Awesome. Now, Everett, I will say... <laughs> That I always go, except the last time that we recorded this, uh, I, I snowblowed um, the, the the block instead of going to worship. Oh, oh, uh, oh, so. oh, I thought that was like code yeah. for something like Lutheran. Okay, so you literally <laughs> snowblowed the block. Okay, okay, that's cool. No, that's cool. I mean, you know, works of uh, necessity and mercy. You know, you're out there doing yeah. those. Yeah, yeah. There, there we go. Thank, thank you for understanding. I, I got. Yeah, we pretty much called him a, a pagan and anathematized him. <laughs> yeah, but I, then I danced around my Christmas tree. Um, oh, that, that works. <laughs> let's see. So last week uh, at worship, we started our uh, started our Christmas sermon series. So uh, our listeners will know that um, the uh, church that uh, I serve at, Christ Lincoln, uh, in, in our 211 worship service, we do uh, mostly a sermon series format rather than following uh, like the lectionary. That was a concept we uh, chatted about a couple weeks ago. And this year's Christmas sermon series is on the five love languages. And so we started that uh, started that piece off with discussing quality time and how quality time can be a way that we can share uh, the gifts and the abilities and, and that which God has blessed us. And also how God spends quality time-ish. It wasn't as fluffy as I'm making it sound. Um, but spends quality time and uses that as a way to show us love. Um, so that that's how we got things uh, got things started off this past week. Yeah. So you're exegeting the old Gary Chapman book then? Well, I'm not. Okay, fair enough. So I guess I'll go next because it'll be a little shorter. Uh our church service got canceled because we had a snowpocalypse down here in South Carolina. Um, we ended oh, so, up it, with, so it legit got canceled. You just didn't like give up because of yes, it, it legit got canceled because we in South Carolina are not prepared for such things. Uh, we get made fun of snow or what? 
No, we we ended up with a good four or five inches, uh, but it was mostly ice. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't just fluffy and pretty. It was it's well, it's still gross as I look out my office window. Um, and on top of that, uh, like we took the morning pretty easy. And I was like, yeah, I'll listen to a sermon in the afternoon to kind of make up for the fact that I I'm not going to church. And then at noon, the power went out until about nine o'clock. Uh, so that was fun. And by fun, I mean kind of the opposite. So, uh, I got some reading in and made fun of Duke energy because they're not the greatest, uh, but that is neither here nor there. <laughs> um, you, you so, could have read a sermon. Did you read a sermon or I, I didn't, I didn't think to do that because I was kind of irritated with the fact that I didn't have any power. So got it. first world problems, I guess. Uh, you know so who also ever- didn't have any power? Literally Jesus. everybody in the everybody in scripture had zero yeah. like actual <laughs> And look at them. They still went to church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's yeah, I guess I understand. You know, they didn't have to deal with snow, just you know, the hundred degree temperatures in the desert where nothing grows or water. Yeah, right. yeah, totally yeah, excusable. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, in fairness, I also couldn't get out of my driveway. Uh, because I have like a 200 foot driveway and there was a 20 foot pine tree that fell over and blocked it. So how do you not yeah. have like a massive hick truck with like 37s on it? Well, I'm working on it. Uh, my wife's going to give me crap about this, but anytime, drive, like I, I, want, a Civic. I want Cody fields. Do you drive? No, a Civic? no, I drive okay. a Dodge Prius. journey. I, do, okay. I drive a Dodge journey. All so right. it's kind of right. in between the, uh, <laughs> The, uh, the I didn't realize you had any kids, but, you know, whatever. Right? Yeah. Well, it fits my guitar stuff. Um, there we go. But but anytime anything goes wrong, I tell my wife it's a great time to get a truck. Like, if I run out of windshield washer fluid, I'm like, it's just time to get a truck. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm working on that. I'm working on getting a truck because I miss lording over everybody on the road, if you will. You hear that, so. everybody? Everybody, go sell your stuff so and buy Cody's stuff so he can buy a truck. So I can buy a truck. And, That's and right. Launch it on the internet. <laughs> that is the yeah. only reason I'm in business. Forget. And when business. and when he does, when he does, you'll hear about it here on the Doxology Podcast. <laughs> so Everett, what did you do in church this week? Well, um, pretty standard. I mean, I'm I'm a vanilla Presbyterian, so uh, we don't have any kind of special break for the holidays. Sure. Um, I, I, I will say, I will say. So as, as I'm preaching through the Gospel of Matthew um, in chapter 13 on the parables, so we looked at the parables about growth and so leaven and mustard seed. Uh, we also looked at the wheat and the tares because Matthew kind of blocks that whole thing off with the parable and the explanation. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, just pretty standard kind of thing. Um, you know, normally I'll uh, reference the incarnation because it's on everybody's mind uh, if it's if it's a natural fit with the text, and so I do that. But Sunday night, so we do we do two services. Sunday night what? on the second. I know <laughs> That's it's so foreign these almost days. Almost biblical. Uh, anyway, so um, Sunday <laughs> night we we um, normally have a, a worship service, but on the second Sunday night we have a big fellowship meal. 
Uh, and so my wife made three gigantic hams. Uh, everybody brought tons of food. We had a huge fellowship meal. And then afterward, we did a kind of a Presbyterian version uh, of the lessons and carols. And so we just uh, read scripture passages. We call it scriptures and hymns. Uh, we read various scripture passages related to the expectation and the incarnation, uh, and then uh, sang appropriate hymns from our hymnal that went along with that. So that was actually a really nice time. We had a decent-sized crowd that came out for that. I mean, I... I mean, I'm in the OPC. It's a small church, but um, um, you know, we, we we got probably around you know three quarters of our people coming back for that on Sunday night. So awesome. good fun. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, is there such a thing as an OPC mega church? Well, I mean, not in the sense of like what a mega church <laughs> means, but an OPC mega church is probably anything over 400 people, uh, and we've got several of those in the OPC. It's not mine, but uh, uh, we've got several of those in the OPC. I mean, not only do I do I pastor an OP church, but I pastor in a small southern Michigan town. Um, I mean, Hillsdale right. is probably about 8,400 people, um, and so we're not going to become a giant. I mean, I think there's like 120 churches in the county. Uh, we're not going to become a giant church uh, anytime soon. It's really just because you haven't named it and claimed it. I mean, you can be honest about that. Well, that's right. I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm still wrestling through like exactly how to prosperity claim the entire city as my own. Um, but you know, hey, Michael W. Smith claimed Nashville. You know, he did. I remember that. I remember that. That was amazing. <laughs> and last time I checked, nothing changed. So that's cool. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna. I'm just gonna keep doing my thing. I've been here ten years. My eleventh year right now. Uh, so I just keep doing my thing. Very good. So why we brought you on, uh, as we discussed previously, is you're not really doing an Advent series at your church, which, you know, in, in the in the modern church world, you've kind of seen an explosion of people uh, kind of observing Advent. Oh, uh, it is it's... super hip and cool to jump on the, the church calendar. I mean, John, you should know, you know this, like being in the Lutheran tradition. <laughs> hey, no, hey. no, no. In the Lutheran tradition, that's your thing. Like that's it, literally it is, your it's thing. Our thing. It is. That's right. It and is. so what I'm, what we I'm saying is it's a, before it was it's cool. a what I'm saying yeah. is it's a hipster thing to all of a sudden jump on it. And what you end up getting is everybody kind of picks and chooses what they like and what mm, they don't like, yeah. you know? And so it's not their tradition. It's kind of like Lent, you know, people are like, Oh, but yeah. it's just, it just feels really good to, to, to give up diet Coke for a period of time, you know, because Jesus suffered in the wilderness and he was tempted and, and I can, I can give up diet Coke. I mean, so it becomes this is the evangelical kind of world has turned it into this, um, this cafeteria kind of approach. You know, they don't do the vestments. They don't generally do the candles. They, you know, they don't do the, they don't do the, uh, the lectionary, but, but doggone it, you know, they're going to, they're going to have Advent because, you know, they found out that like, you know, hope and love and all of these various words they can kind of map it out and have a little sermon series right and you're not doing that so what <laughs> gives why 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 is, why, why is everett tennis <laughs> this cutting edge opc pastor not hopping on the advent wagon that's right why am i not in the advent wagon well I, I mean, historically, and so this is going to get into, you know, a difference, for instance, between John's tradition and my own. I mean, John's tradition is going to follow more the normative principle of worship, which means if it's not forbidden in Scripture, then it's allowed. Whereas um, the, the, the more sort of depends on how you want to discuss them, but not Luther, part of the Reformation. <laughs> <laughs> went with went with the regulative principle, which means that we only do the things that are commanded in Scripture. Uh, and so God commands that we, 
you know, approach him and worship and we confess our sins and we offer our adoration. I mean, so he commands all these things. He doesn't impose a, a liturgical calendar in Scripture. Now, the incarnation is a well and good thing to preach about and to meditate on and to think about. All of those things are good. Sing about, yes. And I think any church that skips out on that, you know, over the years is missing out. And, and I would say really wrong. Uh, but, but, I, but I also think that sort of imposing and saying, all right, pastor, you know, these four weeks, I don't care what you want to preach, but you're going to stop and do this. Like, that's why we had a reformation in part. I mean, that's, you go back to Anglicanism, you go back to the nonconformists, you go back to the, uh, the Westminster Assembly. I mean, that's, that's sort of what's, in, yeah, aren't you guys like Westminster something? Or, John, why are you on a podcast called Westminster? That just clicked with me. Anyway, um, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, because they wouldn't, they wouldn't do the Ausberg effects. Um, uh, <laughs> well, I had, okay, so, so this is going to be kind of old hat for people who are in the know in, in gear stuff. Um, so obviously the, it's named Westminster, like the entire brand, but then I have an overdrive called the 1689. Yeah. Uh, there's like the most used pedal ever is the Ibanez tube screamer, like Stevie Ray Vaughan, Zach Wilde, like you name it, you name the guitarist. They've probably used this pedal and every, pretty much every effects builder has their take on, on the tube screamer. So the joke is that the 1689, speaking of the overdrive, takes something great and makes it better. Um, so I had somebody ask, like, when are you going to do a 1646 pedal? I was like, you have the entire brand. Like, give me a break. But anyway. <laughs> but, 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 but my question is, why don't you have a Concord pedal? Mm, give me a minute. Hey. I, I mean, for hey. John, I mean... Yeah, yeah, man. Concord, come on, man. What do you? I mean, we we do have we do have a we do have a tap tremolo named after Luther. So (laughs) yes, and and what's what's great is I have no idea about any of the people you just named or anything about pedals that you just talked about because that's not my thing. But I know theology and I know history. Right, right. Um, So so (laughs) we do have the Wittenberg preamp. We've got the Wittenberg preamp. That's good. That's good. That's good. Anything about the Diet of Worms or anything like that? No. We'll get there. Good. That could be a cool ring modulator. That's 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 the great thing about about branding it after church history is I got two thousand years worth of material to work with. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and even if I strictly keep it to reformationally based, then I still got five hundred. You know. Uh, But anyway, so you were talking normative versus regulative principle. Yeah, so, um, so that, that's what comes into play when it, when it comes down to some of these. And so the reality is that most of evangelicalism in our culture and sort of the neo-Calvinist movement, um, is go- which, is, which is by and large the non-confessional kind of quote-unquote reformed churches sure. are more neo-Calvinist. And so uh, they're, they're also going to follow sort of a normative principle. And so somebody like me says – yeah, we don't do anything in Christmas, for Christmas in our services, they're going to say, well, why not? I mean, it's not forbidden in Scripture. For right, us, now, the question is, isn't it's not forbidden. The question is, is it commanded? And now, let, me just, let me just finish with this because, sure, because yeah. it can sound like it, we're just a bunch of, like, Scrooges, which maybe we are. I've often talked about a Christmas carol, about a story, <laughs> about, a, about a good Presbyterian that was slowly wooed to Roman Catholicism. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> for us, it's a principle of freedom. Because if somebody walks into a worship service who, in their conscience, they don't celebrate 
Christmas. If we sort of set aside, these are the four weeks we are doing this, and, and you have no you have no option. I mean, go to another church if you want. But we are basically saying that you are bound to celebrate this right now. And that's the, that's the question that we have is, uh, um, or the pushback that we have is that if we don't see that in Scripture, that we are required to celebrate that right now, and therefore we can't put that on our people. Right. I, I do appreciate the uh, the – basically abstaining at le- at the very least for the sake of of conscience and i'm not i'm not telling my church by any means to you know quit our advent series in the middle of it um and i i do lean more regulative and maybe i just haven't uh evaluated the arguments enough and we can get more into that in a second um but i do like the the hey we're not going to violate your conscience there uh riff more on that a little bit if you could yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting because the whole notion of the regulative principle is found in the confession, Westminster Confession, under the chapter on Christian liberty. Um, it, it basically becomes a thing that that you know God alone is Lord of the conscience, and that's something, by the way, that the Lutherans can really dig, you know dig on, right? Uh, because I mean, you know, Luther basically said that his he, he was captive to Scripture, and you know, unless it can be shown mm-hmm. from Scripture or reason, you know, he was captive to that. Um, and so we kind of say the same thing with regard to worship that that we are captive to that, and so we have to we have to guard against. Um, and, and I think this, this applies. And so, as I said earlier, my, my work in my doctoral work is in liturgics. And I think this applies sort of across the board, not just to Advent, but really to all of worship. I mean, if we're going to say to our people, this is how you must worship, then we better be able to point to a passage and say, this is why. Or at least right. by good and necessary consequence, deduce it from that passage. Um, and so we want to protect. Uh, our our people uh, and their conscience, and so that, that that's kind of that's kind of where we're coming from, right? And I think uh, you know, like at at my church at Resurrection Church here in South Carolina, the the way we approach it more is is hey, this is just kind of what we're doing. It's not uh, it's definitely not heavy handed. And if somebody wanted to abstain from, <laughs> as John holds up a BRB sign into the camera. Uh, okay, John. See you in a minute. <laughs> that this totally won't get edited out either. That's the best part. Nice. Um, yeah. So now to get back on track is is this just kind of is what we do? Where I don't think we're necessarily forcing anybody to say, "Hey, you have to celebrate Christmas," but we're at least going to take a look at, and, and, you know, as you know, our church leaders say, "Hey, we're going to take a look at the incarnation for a couple weeks." Yeah. Uh, And and I, I think that's cool. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that could still fit in under the, the regulative, uh, umbrella, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously it could, here's, here's the thing where it becomes a problem when it becomes a perennial thing. Sure. So it doesn't become, Hey, you know what? We're going to look at the incarnation over the next three weeks. This is really cool. Let's explore this and let's look at scripture, but it becomes a, Oh no, this is what we must do now. And so now you're binding the conscience of the next pastor and the pastor after him. And you're saying, no, 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 you don't understand. This is how we've always done it. And you must do this. And so that's what I'm as a church planter. And that's what I was for the first five years that I was here. I'm I'm very aware of of any kind of sort of tradition that I begin here that is going to become mandatory um, on the next ten pastors. 
Right. So, uh, so what you're not saying is, hey, if you talk about the incarnation in December, you are anathema. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I mean, saying that. no, you're, no, I mean, what you're saying is, what you're saying is, be careful to not bind the conscience of of your congregation uh, in uh, basically like saying, hey, you have to do these things. That's and right. And if they year. if they come to your worship service, they are bound. And as by the way, I mean, so I'm a Presbyterian. I have a very high view of membership. Um, if they join the church, one of the vows is to is to participate in the church's worship and service and to submit in the Lord to the the leadership of the church. Um, and so that's that becomes something that we have to. I, I, for us, we have to think very carefully about that. These are people that are that are submitting. These are people that are um, that are that are coming to worship. Like if they miss worship, you know, we reach out and say, "Hey, where were you? Why? Because you were supposed to be here." Um, mm-hmm. And so that becomes something that 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 binds their binds their conscience. Now that said, you know, throughout the month of December, um, I will select uh, among the songs that I select uh, will be some of the incarnation hymns, and I'm preaching on. Matthew thirteen forty four to forty six um, on on you know the parables of the um, oh my goodness they just jumped out of my mind uh, but but anyway the the, the parables about uh, you know finding the great treasure you know the pearl of great price uh, the hidden treasure in the field you know one of the points that I want to draw out of that is is you know the the the, the value of the kingdom of God, the value of salvation. And one of the ways we can think about that value, since everybody right now is thinking about the incarnation, is the gift that God gives in his son. And so I don't have a problem tying it into my sermon series or, or to tying it into my sermon that I'm preaching through. Um, I think that's well and good. Uh, I just, and by the way, I'll talk about the incarnation the other 11 months too. Uh, I, I just have an issue when it comes down to, and I think this is the regulative principle for me, uh, when it comes down to the binding of the conscience, no, this is what you must do. So it's the first uh, week, hope. I, I can't it remember how it goes. Yeah. So, it is hope. so, Love is so you say, true. so yeah, so you say that the first Sunday after Thanksgiving, you have to preach on hope. You know, the third Sunday after Thanksgiving, you have to preach on love. Um, that I, I think is where it becomes conscience binding for both the minister, uh, as well as the congregation. And to be honest, look, I just want to preach Jesus like year round. I'm going to talk about his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his ongoing intercession. Like, I just want to talk all about it, um, um, from every angle that I can and whatever text I'm in, that's my goal is to, is to point people to Christ. I can appreciate that. I, I, I like that approach. And I think that, uh, that's something that those who who may follow the the rigidity of like the lectionary uh, could also say about themselves as well, where they follow the lectionary so they can make sure uh, to preach on all facets of Christ and how He works in our lives. Yeah. And so yeah. Um, so here's one thing I've noticed, and it's not a, it's not a call out. I think it's cool, and I and I'd love to know the why. I mean, it's probably just pretty simple. When talking about what you do at your church and preaching about the birth of Christ, you don't say Christmas. Now, for many Christians, for many everybody, when they say Christmas, their mind goes, baby, stable, right? You say incarnation, which is accurate, and I think that's awesome. What's the backstory there? I mean, it's obviously the the proper way to refer to it. 
Um, I just want to hear your your yeah. take on it. Yeah, so I, I I guess I never noticed it until you pointed it out. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm not above, like, I don't have a problem saying Merry Christmas to somebody. I, I guess for me, Christmas is sort of the whole package, which much of it in our culture is secular. In other words, you know, sure. it's the tree, it's the lights, it's, you know, all those things that, I mean, I get it. Like, I know some people try to sort of tile those things in to Jesus in a manger and, like, Joseph plugged in the lights and the tree shone and all of that glorious stuff. I, I know that some people try to tie that. That was, a, that was a joke. Anyway, I know some people try to tie that all in, but I know, I know. I, I'm, it's, it's a bad – I should feel bad. Um, anyway, that's when Presbyterians try to tell jokes. I guess for me, I'm more interested – not in the the overall sort of celebration and all the aspects and the gift giving and all of that. I want to I, I want to look at what sort of what it is about Christmas that actually makes it special, which is the incarnation. Now, I know, yes, Christ's birth is what Christmas means. Um, and so that's cool. That's what it means. It's the incarnation. I just like to be a little more specific about that um, and, and just say, you know, the incarnation. Now, that said, we had a Christmas hymn sing. Uh, I didn't call it the incarnation hymn sing because at some point that just becomes awkward. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, happy resurrection day, uh, which, by the way, my wife does. She refuses to use the word Easter. In some ways, she's more Presbyterian than I am. Um, but, but you know, for her, it's, it's, she just wants to say resurrection day because, again, I think, I think there's an understanding that, that these holidays in our culture are so much bigger than sort of the, the religious aspect that we have. Um, and so we just want to focus on what it is that makes the holiday actually special. And, and I can definitely uh, appreciate that where, um, you know, like with the, with the current political situation <laughs> – you know, depending on who's in office, then certain parties will say that it's okay or not okay to say Merry Christmas or something yeah, what, nonsense what like that. Yeah, what is that? Exactly, it's, what is that? <laughs> it's just pure, purely nonsensical, and, I, and I, I seem to remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Kirk Cameron did a movie about saving Christmas oh, several I'm years sure. ago. I'm and, sure. Uh, and it, it was just like the, your, oh, basically uh, Kevin your, your coffee did one like last year. Huh? Oh really? Yeah, it was just like this. One. It was just yeah. like this pop evangelicalism of of basically if you don't love everything around Christmas, then you're a monster, like just some kind of moral monster. And that that didn't strike me very well, even though I love uh, like my church's Advent stuff that yeah. we're not we're not binding consciences with, but we're do you, doing. Do you guys do you guys have do you guys have the candles? Do you guys do the candles, Cody? We do, we do. Um, do, you have, do you have five? Do you have five candles? We do. We do have okay. five candles. Okay, so so let me let me just say that that that's another issue that gets to kind of the heart of why um, more confessionally reformed churches, and again, sure. um, Lutheran's a different tradition, but because what's that fifth candle? Christ candle. It's the Christ candle. It mm -hmm. represents mm -hmm. Christ. Which, which, ah, reformed, so you, you would call that you would call that a second commandment violation. The reformed have generally understood that because you go into a Lutheran church, you're going to see, you know, pictures of Bob everywhere. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. I'm on, a, I'm on your podcast. Pictures of Christ, representations <laughs> of Christ everywhere. Look, in my house, because we don't, we don't do representations of Christ, we still love to go to museums. And so I told my children that, that it wasn't Jesus, it was Bob. Uh, he's the stand in for Jesus since nobody knows what Jesus looks like. And so we always, 
just refer to him as Bob in my house. But anyway, you know, so you on to- that, on that, yeah. real quick. So, <laughs> uh, one of the things that annoys me is white Jesus. White oh, yeah. Jesus annoys oh, yeah. me. I, I call him Minnesota. I, I call him Minnesota Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <because> <laughs> Don't you? Well, the I last mean, the, the last Jesus movie that they made, I, I called him Portrait Jesus. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey Zeus. Oh man. I, man so, the... so you're right. So these representations. So anyway, so going back to the Reformed view, like we are sort of loath to make a representation, a physical representation of in any way of of the person of any person of the Godhead, um, and mm-hmm. so that Christ candle becomes becomes an issue for the confessionally Reformed as well. Mm. So obviously that rules out like a crucifix with corpus, but what about the symbol of the cross? Yeah, so the symbol of the cross is is fine. I, I mean, there are churches that use that, um, um, and I, and there are reformed, you know, confessionally reformed churches that use that. Uh, but it's it's the crucifix. It's it's an actual representation of the uh, um, uh, of the second person of the Godhead uh, that I think they push back against. And, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. It's all laid out in the confessional language, you know, but sure. but this is for us. It, it ends up being an um, um, an in, not just inappropriate, but an inaccurate image because you never get the divinity. You only get the humanity. Um, which means it's not the full person. Uh, and so, and then as you pointed out, Sean, they're all so darn <laughs> inaccurate. Um, you know, whether it's, whether it's handsome Jesus or white Jesus or Portugal Jesus, I mean, whatever it is, you're like, this isn't what scripture says we would have expected. In fact, it says Absolutely. that there was nothing about him that we would desire him. Um, Mm-hmm. And so, so that, and, and I always love how like Jesus like slips out in the middle of this giant ruckus where he just caused it. It's like, well, it's because he probably looks pretty common. Um, and that's why he's able to slip, slip away and without being caught. Um, and so, so all of those reasons, I think for us uh, become a problem. And then, so then you have that fifth candle, the Christ candle, um, that's lit on Christmas day. So all of that kind of for confessional reform folks who hold to the regulative principle of worship, just not our jam. Um, it's not something that we, that, that we participate in. For sure. Yeah. And, and I, I know some people uh, listening may have a, a knee jerk reaction and, and basically proclaim legalism. Uh, but no, it's, it's, you're not trying to be legalistic. You're trying to actually free people from having their consciences bound by something that's not scriptural, at least at least how you interpret it. And you're, yeah. you're open to not anathematizing other people. That's right. <laughs> over, and so, over so other traditions, other traditions have it. Or here's the thing. Like somebody in my congregations, like, you know what? We want to do an Advent. We want to we want to structure our family worship around Advent during this month. You know what? I say, go for it. I mean, there's this great little book. Um, 
called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, and uh, the name of the author has just slipped my mind. But it's, a, it's excerpts of sermons, Luther's sermon, Augustine's sermon, Calvin's sermon, Keller's sermon, uh, you know, all these various sermons from throughout church history that are focused on the incarnation. And our family has used that traditionally in, in December, and I read through those sermons, or at least parts of those excerpts of sermons during our family worship time. I'm not doing it this year. Uh, this year we're just doing Genesis because why not talk about sin a whole bunch? Uh, but, um, there, you know, we, we have families in our church that will, that will have that more of a focus. But I'll tell you what, my wife loves, loves uh, the hymn section in our hymnal on, on the incarnation. So she, you know, she requests that all through the whole month of December, that's what we sing uh, for family worship. So we sing, we sing incarnation hymns. So it's cool. I mean, like, like it's, it's whatever you want to do in, in your home, in, in family worship, in private worship, that's awesome. Just, just don't bind the consciences of others or of future generations or of the next minister, however you want to look at it. So that's kind of where we're at. Yes, some people are going to say, you know, that's total Pharisee, legalistic, all of that. And I just throw my hands up in the air and go, well, at least I'm not partially papist. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just well, kidding. Well played. Down boy. Well played. Down boy. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But, like, you, you guys know because you do worship ministry, there's always going to be somebody else who's going to call you a legalist. Like, that's just the Absolutely. way it goes. You're a mean one. Mr. Grinch, you really are a heel. Absolutely, and, and one of the other things I wanted to wanted to kind of hash out with you is, I mean, obviously, being in the OPC, you have uh, much simpler services <laughs> than than many in American Christianity do, um, and you know, like at Resurrection, we're not. Uh, we're not, you know, going after the mega church model of being super performance driven. We're not going like full bore hazers and lasers, but we do have a more modern musical style. We've got, you know, we'll dim the lights. It's not, you know, you can actually see people in front of you and, and around you. And it's not so loud that you can't hear everybody else sing. Like there's actually times when like we run in-ear monitors that are pretty isolating. And there are times uh, when I can still hear the congregation through my in-ears. Um, so obviously we're not putting on a rock show, but at the same time, I'm curious as to uh, what maybe the modern style churches can learn from uh, the more traditional type of churches. And I, I know that can probably go on for about four or five hours, but let's see if we can boil that down into about 15 minutes. Yeah, um, I, I guess there's a lot I, I would say that could be learned. Um especially for churches that are trying to be at least in the Reformed stream. So churches that aren't necessarily confessional, uh, like the OPC, uh, but just in the Reformed stream, I, I, think, I think a lot can be learned as far as um, our simple approach to worship. Uh, you know, th because, because those kinds of churches, I guess they can be kind of intimidating for some people, uh, but also starting them can be, can be really difficult. Um, and if everybody sort of expects that the church is supposed to have this, this, this giant band and, you know, in-ear monitor, monitors and whatever those are, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, so that becomes the expectation. Um, you know, I, I think, I think that, I think it can be kind of hard to plant churches, but maybe I would just boil it down to this is I think what they can learn from us is, is the centrality of the word. Um, I can dig it. Have as much scripture 
in your services as you possibly can. If people walk away and say, man, all you guys do is read the Bible, pray the Bible, preach the Bible, sing the Bible. My goodness, don't you have anything else to say? I, I, I think that's wonderful. You know, I, I mean, style questions aside, and, you know, the OPC is going to look different than Reformation is going to look different than, uh, you know, than John's uh, Lutheran church, and especially different than the wider LCMS. Um, are, you, are you LCMS, John? I am indeed. Okay. I mean, so then, then, then the know, wider by, LMS. by virtue of my membership, yes, I am LCMS. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yes. so then different than the LCMS. I mean, so, so there's going to be a lot of variety, and I, and I dig variety. I think that that's good. My my own convictions. I I want simple. Um, but even that, even that question, let me, let me just finish my first thought. So the centrality of scripture, I think, is is key. And then I guess the other thing I would say is. You know, Cody, you mentioned that, you know, your church isn't isn't as production driven, you know, as as like a mega church and all of that. You know, mm-hmm. I I think that we want to do what we do well. Right. But I absolutely. also I also think I also think that that there can be a principle of simplicity, which, by the way, I believe is both biblical and historical. And that's what my whole uh, my dissertation is on, is on a an explanation and defense of the principle of simplicity in worship. So I'm doing something different than the regulative principle. But but I think a principle of simplicity, which isn't just like, all right, you know, everybody, no musical instruments, you know, only the Psalms, you know, it's not that kind of simplicity. Uh, it's just simply like if you look in Scripture prior to the tabernacle, prior to the temple, um, um, they, they were commanded not to not to like mark the stones, you know, for the altar. They, they weren't allowed to make markings on them. It was just supposed to be a simple altar. That was where they made their sacrifices. Um, Jesus says that, you know, we worship by spirit. Um, we worship in spirit and in truth. I, I think passages like this get at a principle of simplicity in worship that I think is good because it doesn't crowd out what God is doing in worship. And, and hopefully, and I'm sure that neither of your churches falls into this, but you know those production-driven churches, it's, it, there, there's manipulation that goes on. Um, there's a crowding out of things. So I, I think another thing that can be learned besides the centrality of Scripture is, is this principle of simplicity um, that, that can look different in different cultures and in different contexts and things like that, but that, but that the actual worship of the triune God is what's driving us and not whether it's a desire to be huge or a desire mm-hmm. to have this great production or, or all of these other kinds of desires that seem to crowd out uh, the simple worship I mean, of, of the triune God. Awesome. I, th- I, mean, I thought you were about to say something, John. My bad. I was sorry. I was I was <laughs> muted. Um, you know, I think you would be surprised at the level of production that that actually does take place at Christ Link in my my home congregation. Um, there is a good deal of it. Um, now, I absolutely resonate with you, Everett, on uh, that some of those components can do some manipulation to the congregants. Um, I mean, we know in uh, th- there are many examples of, of Bethel doing such things with, uh, um, you know, with the gold dust coming from the air ducts and, and whatnot and, and attempting to use, um, you know, these, these conjured things to invoke some sort of emotional response. And, and, and you know, I, I think that's absolutely abhorrent. Um, 
you know, what I will say is that uh, from the inception of what is now called 211 worship, um, and it's it's called 211, and, and because you haven't heard this before, it's called 211 because uh, it, it's taken from Acts 211, where everyone heard the gospel in their own language. And the original approach to it was that it would use a more uh, parable preaching style of uh, of teaching and message delivery. Um, and from there, it, it grew into uh, into something that that appears from just a, a strictly um, aesthetic point of view. Uh, to be somewhat mega churchy. I mean, we do, you know, we do have thousands of people on a Sunday morning uh, that that sort of between our multiple services. Um, there's a good deal of work that goes into into lighting design and to making things visually appealing. Um, I'm thankful that I can say that I, do, I, I really haven't seen anything that's uh, emotionally, emotionally manipulative and, and if I did, I would like to think I'd be able to recognize that and to speak out against it. There have been some things that that have been done that are are kind of gimmicky, um, sometimes really gimmicky. Um, you know, I think you guys in uh, on on the interwebs have uh, have razzed me over a video that was released from one particular Easter service where spark cannons were used. Um, I'm not uh, going to uh, condone the use of uh, pyrotechnics in worship, um, you know, un unless you're doing the whole, you know, soaked altar thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and I'm not going to say that, that all of those things um, are, are completely beneficial. Uh, but I do want this to be an encouragement to our listeners that if you do want to add some production and aesthetic, you know, massaging to your space. I think Everett's words are wise here and stay away from the manipulation game. Stay away from trying to bend and twist those who are gathered to learn and to give uh, glory to God. You know, don't try to point them a certain direction with fluff. Give them Jesus and Jesus uh, to the full. Yeah, and, and what you said, Everett, was really good and, and really kind of the theme of <laughs> of most of our episodes is make it focused on Scripture. Uh, what has God revealed about himself? I mean, even in probably the first or second episode, Bradley was quoting how Jesus would retort against the Pharisees with, have you not read what God said, <laughs> like that's that's kind of a big deal. If if the creator and sustainer of the universe has revealed something about himself, we would probably do pretty well to listen to that and then abide by it. It seems yeah. like a simple concept, but often in in our uh, in the worship world, uh, they kind of want to throw that off and say, ah, we'll just do what feels nice instead, and and that's where you end up getting the manip the emotional manipulation tactics and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And historically, historically, I mean, a lot of this is grounded in, I mean, the manipulative stuff. I mean, it's, it's just grounded right back in Finney. And maybe you guys have talked about this before, but you can bit, actually yeah. go and read Finney on revivals. <laughs> and Finney just comes out and says, you don't need the Holy Spirit for revival. 
You just got to do this, 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 and this. I mean, he right. just turns it into a formula, and bam, second great awakening, which produces more heresies than, uh, well, more than the first great awakening. That one produced some, but uh, you know, more heresies than maybe any other time in uh, in church history, kind of all at once, growing out of the second great awakening. Uh, and a lot of it came down to that 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 manipulation, whether through the worship or through the preaching, um, um, the way in which you kind of control the crowd. And, and yeah, I mean, we recognize at least some of that now for, you know, prosperity gospel. You know, Bethel's been mentioned. We could throw a whole bunch of names under the bus when it comes down to that, you know. And, and it's fun to do that, but I think it's also just wise, and, and I'm glad to hear both of you guys wrestling through this in your own church context. It's wise for us to say, you know, are there ways in which we might fall prey to that? Um, and that's where we need to watch ourselves. Because let's face it, I mean, Bethel's going to do what Bethel does. They can go suck graves, you know, whatever. I don't care. Ble- you know, as other, we say, other ministries. As we say in the South, as we say in the South, bless their hearts. That's right. That makes, you know, that, makes it, that makes it okay to say anything about anybody as long as you bless their hearts. Over. Bless their hearts. Um, I remember I, I lived down in Texas at one point. It's basically this kind of the South. Um, but, no, but it's you know, it, but it's its own thing too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, so so I. But I want us to think about our own worship, you know, context and and kind of the things that that might be in place, not to draw us away, but we need to think. We need to think generationally. We need to think, you know, about uh, focusing on the word, not because, well, that's the gimmick that works right now, but because that's the life-giving sustenance that we need as God's people. And by the way, that's the only thing that God has promised to bless and actually use for the calling of, of sinners to himself. Uh, that's the, the ordinary means in which God does that is through the proclamation of the word. Which may be setting up an entirely different episode, which would be fun. But even even to the simplicity, uh, I remember uh, about a month ago, I guess it was now, maybe a little longer, where um, we have we have a digital mixer uh, for our sound system, and the thing up and died. <laughs> so <laughs> so we were we were and, and it died right before our our weekly band rehearsal on Thursday, and it was like, well, between now and Sunday, we have all of two days. What are we going to do? And, and, I mean, they made the decision, well, if it really comes down to it, we'll just strip it down and go acoustic guitar and vocals if we have to and yeah. and just adapt. Whereas, you know, a lot of, you know, the hyper-production models, I guess you could call it, would be all up in a tizzy working working around the clock to, to get the thing fixed. And obviously we want to do what we do well. We want to, you know be somewhat consistent in how we approach things. You know, if, if you know, you throw somebody a curveball uh, too often, then, uh, then that just becomes weird and kind of unnerves your congregation. But at the same time, the adaptability to just say, you know what, it's fine. God's still going to do what God's going to do. And we're just going to strip this down and it's going to be fine. Like I really appreciated that approach. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, look, I mean, if your worship depends on a mixer or depends on, you know, one person's solo or something like that, I think you <laughs> might be at a place where you're you're focusing on the wrong thing. Um, you know, those things might be helpful. Those things might have their place. But at the end of the day, um, the church has gone a long time without those things. And chances are it'll go on for a long time without those things. So. I think I think making you know making the word central, making the proclamation of Christ central, um, and and just being being aware that 
all those sorts of production questions are at at the very least secondary to yes. um, to those other things. Absolutely. All right. Recommended reading or listening or whatever. Uh, John, start us off. Will do. My recommended reading for this week is Martin Luther's Christmas book. Now, it's not a Christmas book written by Martin Luther. It is a book uh, for Christmas uh, containing uh, numerous uh, Luther sermon excerpts. Uh, Luther had a, uh, a very real and uh, very gritty understanding of the birth of Christ. And I think that there is the tendency, especially in, in modern times in which we live, to assume that the nativity, as it were, uh, is just like the, uh, the one on your mantle at home where you have you know, everyone in this clean stable gathered around and uh you know angels singing overhead and everyone looking at uh as as Bradley put it a couple weeks ago from the song away in the manger a baby no crying he makes uh and <laughs> and that's that's not the case uh i mean mary gave birth in the dirt without water <laughs> you know w- without uh you know with minimal shelter. I mean, the, this was, this was as, as Luther would, would come to teach it. Um, this part of the beginning of Christ's state of humiliation, where he set aside his Godhead, so to speak, and was in every way a baby. And that God would come to us in that way. Emmanuel would come to us in that way uh, to be the ransom for the world. Ransom for captive Israel is is amazing. And so this book uh, outlines using excerpts from Luther's sermons, his understanding of Christmas and the nativity and how he approached it over his uh, his career of preaching and teaching. So you said Martin Luther's real and gritty understanding is anything that Martin Luther's ever like it was anything that Martin Luther ever did not real and gritty no or real gritty <laughs> no i'm pretty sure <laughs> a lot of grit in the 1400s a lot of grit 1500s well and especially he was born in 1492 he was born in 1492 <laughs> <laughs> oh man so my reading this week the reading I, I will actually just recommend, hey, go read Romans 14 uh, with matters of conscience and not binding. Like, if somebody doesn't celebrate Christmas, don't freak out at them. And I guess uh, since we typically do the whole Amazon affiliate thing, I'll link to the Reformation Study Bible because that thing has been super helpful in my life and walk. Uh, Everett, what you got? Yeah, so, I mean, if people want to know more about kind of a Reformed a confessional reformed approach to worship. I'll plug uh, one of my one of my elders is a pretty uh, prolific author, D.G. Hart, um, and so he's got this book that he wrote with a buddy of his, John Meether, called "With Reverence and Awe." With reverence and awe, and it's it's just the subtitle is "Recovering uh, uh, or, or or Returning to the Basics of Reformed Worship," um, and so he's just he's just laying out in there uh, some of what I talk about. Um, 
as well as as well as you know probably much more given that it's an actual book on the matter. But you know, I with reverence and awe is a really good uh, a really good primer on understanding sort of simplicity, regulative principle, uh, those kinds of questions. At least so that so that you have um, you know you can you can you can sort of expand your your horizons when it comes to uh, questions of worship. Absolutely. Well, Everett, thanks a lot for coming on and being a one a traditional voice, if if you could say that. Um, all, like I really think these conversations need to happen more, where you get guys in modern church uh, styles and traditional church styles, and even normative and regulative guys. Like, hey, let's talk about it, and not get uh, overwhelmingly irritated at each other when we Absolutely. may or may not disagree. Because I know I know a lot of what you said, John disagreed with, but he didn't cry about it (laughs) no and and you know i like obviously i'm gonna disagree with some stuff but speaking of disagreements let the record show this is the very first episode of the westminster effects doxology podcast where the pedo baptists outnumbered the credo baptists so thanks a lot all right (laughs) nice nice so so yeah everett thanks a lot for coming on we'll we'll uh have have you on again sometime thanks All right, everybody. As we finish up things today, I want to share some announcements of some awesome things that's going on with the Westminster Nose family. Uh, if, uh, if you follow us on Facebook, you've definitely seen uh, some information about some awesome new mods that are coming out under the Nose Pedal brand, including an awesome new mod for the TC Electronic series of delay pedals, the Triple Delay, the Flashback X4, and the Alter Ego X4, some really cool double presets and switchable looper functions on those pedals. And I definitely encourage you to check those things out. In addition to that, there are some awesome new mods that are available now. Uh, there is a uh, the nose mod for the tube screw pedal, adds some uh, adds a much greater dynamic range. There's, there's a new mod for the Boss CS3 compressor. Uh, that uh, adds clarity and, and a, a additional dynamic sensitivity. And then one that you're going to be hearing in just a few seconds here is the Tweed mod on the Blues Driver from Nose Pedal uh, that uh, gives you all of that rich, woolly, super bright tone from your traditional Fender uh, Tweed-style circuit. And uh, we'll be hearing an excerpt from that right at the end of this episode from my review uh, that uh, that should be on the interwebs uh Pretty, pretty darn soon here. Uh, so if you're actively writing and performing music and would like to be an official Westminster artist like I am and even get your song played at the end of one of these podcasts, fill out our application at westminstereffects.com. So once again, here is my demo of the Boss Blues Driver Tweed Mod from Nose Pedal. Thanks for listening. Next up is the Boss BD2 Blues Driver Tweed Mod, which Nose Pedal also has available. This mod is really unique in that uh, most Blues Driver mods uh, kind of add a little bit more low-end. Uh, traditional Blues Drivers can be, uh, you know, a little, uh, little heat on the top, uh, like the Keeley mod and, and whatnot will do that. Um, uh, what this one does is it takes the, uh, the, the, the nature of the Blues Driver and, and makes it better, makes it, makes it a little warmer and gives you those woolly tweed tones that you'd get from a classic Fender uh, 50s uh, amplifier. So we're gonna go ahead and plug that one and I'll see you back down at the pedal board. 
Okay, and we're done with the pedal board and we have the Boss Blues Driver modded by Nose Pedal uh, with the Tweed Mod. Uh, we are going to go ahead and check my clean tone again, then we're going to set those knobs back to noon and make sure uh, that uh, we have a good place to start. So here we go. Roll the tone knob up, there we go. back to noon and see what we've got. All right, so right away, right away, you hear a lot of high end on this puppy. Uh, and, and you know what? You know what that sounds like? That sounds like a old Fender Champ. That's what that sounds like. Uh, so, I mean, like, you, you have to put yourself in the, in the right mood for that sort of tone, uh, and, and it's super unique, and, and you know what, there's not a lot of pedals that, that sound like this. Um, I mean, put yourself in, in this sort of context. So really cool there. Let's go ahead and roll that tone down so we don't go absolutely deaf. Uh, we're gonna set that down to, uh, to nine o'clock there. Uh, here's some more open chords to see what that's done. Okay, rolling it down to about nine o'clock really kind of mellows it out. It also drops the level a little bit, and that's indicative of the uh, treble boost circuit that is in this guy. I mean, so there's that classic tweed tone. And you know, that sound really is what we're used to with the old school Fender Champs, uh, the old bassman with, uh, with the bright switch turned on, uh, the uh, the high power tweeds and high power twins and, and whatnot. I mean, Bonamassa plays through that stuff. I'm not going to say that this will make you sound like Joe Bonamassa, but it'll, you know, it, it might make you feel like Joe Bonamassa, and uh, and that's you know maybe maybe that's half the battle. Um, so put on some sunglasses, grab a uh, grab a Les Paul, and uh, and there you go. <laughs> Switch up to the neck range and uh, do some crappy blues licks. Uh, that is my trademark specialty, is crappy blues licks. So let's go ahead and check. Really cool, really bright. 
Uh, let's let's go ahead and crank this gain uh, all the way up and uh, and just see how much damage we can do and how many windows we can break. This is pretty. This is going to be sweet. You know, so as you roll that gain up, you do get a little bit more compression. So, uh, I mean, compression works kind of all over the board, and we're going to roll off some, some of those highs just naturally as we crank that gain up, and it starts to clip a little more. Um, but, but, yeah, so this is the, uh, this is the Tweed Mod, uh, super unique and, uh, and super useful, especially if you find yourselves uh, playing in, uh, in a lot of cover bands. Uh, or if you're a chicken picker, uh, especially if you're a chicken picker, you may want to combine this with our next demo, which is the, uh, the CS3 mod uh, for the, the Boss Compressor Sustainer. Uh, could really give you some really sweet stuff. I wish I were a chicken picker because I could show that off, but I'm not, and so I won't, and just because. All right, so, uh, so that said, let me turn off the delay that's been annoyingly on through the entire demo of this thing, and uh, we'll go ahead and just play, play out.